0: Again, yeah, he is risen. He is risen I guess you could say that every week, right? But it's certainly fun to say it today. Um, so it's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that is more well known as, as Easter. It's the day that uh, we gather together and we celebrate uh, the single most important fact in the history of the world, that God dwelt among his creation and having laid down his life upon a Roman cross to pay for the sins of his people. And then three days later, he rises back to life again. And I know we we hear that and it becomes so familiar terminology to us, but if we're honest, it can sound really strange to reasonable people. Because what we're actually saying is true here, is that Jesus was a man, and he had a brain, and he had flesh, and there was muscle, and there were veins going through his body, and he had a pancreas, and he had a heart. I don't honestly know what the pancreas is here. Um, and a heart. And what we're saying is that that heart stopped beating. That blood stopped flowing through those veins of his, that his life was absolutely ended, and that he was dead. And, and then days later, not moments later, not... not Moments later, but days later, his heart began to beat again. It began pumping blood again through his veins again, and his dead body returned back to life. And, and so today we're going to read the the gospel account uh, that speaks of the, of the resurrection from the gospel of John. Um, so if you've got your Bible, you can start heading that way, John chapter 20. And, and then after we read the actual account of the resurrection... Uh, I want us to try to to seek an answer to two important questions today. The first one is is, does it matter? Does the resurrection really matter in the larger scheme of things? And the second one is, is did it really happen? Is this a real historical event? And um, children, I know that you've got a little booklet today that you can work through, but uh, even if you've got that uh, if you got that good, if you don't, you can go grab one. if not.' Uh, though, take a break from that. I want you to listen, and John, chapter 20 here as we're going to be reading this wonderful story of our Savior's resurrection, uh, death and resurrection, or resurrection actually. So, John chapter 20, we're going to read the first 18 verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. sitting there with the, body of, where the where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabboni," which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, "Do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my to my God and to your God." Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, "I have seen the Lord." And that he had said, said these things to her. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need faith to believe the most important truth in all the world. That you sent your son to live a perfect life among sinners. To be hung on a cross by sinners. And to lay down his life for sinners. So that sinners whose faith is in Jesus will be resurrected to life just like Jesus Christ. So we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to strengthen us to believe this at the very core of our being. For without the gospel, the world is a dark and hopeless place. But you, Lord, are light, light that defeats the darkness, just as you have defeated death. And so as we focus on your resurrection today, may we be filled with hope, true and lasting eternal hope amen uh, well those of you that know me know that i'm kind of intrigued by by names i've probably asked most of you about names i i love to hear what your names are i love to hear what your children's names and even more importantly i love to hear the story behind it why did you pick this name and that name and sometimes they're they're funny other times they're interesting and uh, you know i'm just intrigued by that i I have a, a brother of mine, an older brother. He's not a, a Christian. In fact, uh, he's actually quite a skeptic. And uh, I think that's the reason I, I find it so strange that when he he named his children, he had three boys and their names are Noah, Isaiah, and Malachi. All amazing, great biblical names. Uh, you look at our children's names, they're quite different. You know, when our son Beckham was born, the you know, our firstborn son, the The first assumption that that people had, or rather the assumption that people had that we would name our kids with biblical names was so incredibly strong that more than one people assumed we had said the word Shechem. (laughs) I'd never heard of Shechem, but it's a city in Genesis 12, uh, and that's what they assume because I assume a pastor must name his kids after biblical names, something like that. Uh, The truth is quite different. He was named after uh, David Beckham, the English soccer player, uh, a little less biblical, Uh, Our daughter, Sadie Piper, got her name from from two sources, very, very different sources. Sadie, her first name comes from a contestant on The Bachelor, so there I've confessed that. Uh, You know, years ago, ten years ago, uh, then we just liked the contestant, so we we went with that name. Her last name uh, is a little more noble. It's from the the pastor and author John Piper, who had a huge influence in our life regarding just understanding the the sovereignty of God and, and salvation. Uh, And then our our youngest, Berkeley. Uh, This is a name that Laura just liked, just thought it's a pretty name and went with. I had totally other motives behind it. I suggested it because it's where my favorite band, The Counting Crows, actually began. Uh, So again, less noble, Uh, but an awesome name. And so then Berkeley's middle name, though, uh, we chose with a really special reason. We chose it because it commemorates the greatest event in the history of the world. No Travis, her name's not Wrigley. Her middle name is Anastasia, and, and you're probably familiar with that. Anastasia is actually the, the feminine version of the Greek word that means resurrection, Anastasius. And, and so that's, uh, that's why, you've probably heard the Russian fairy tale before, and the princess's name is, is Anastasia. It's a story about a princess who goes disappearing, everyone believes she's dead, and suddenly many years she shows back up again. The reason her name is Anastasia is because it's that Greek word for resurrection, uh, the idea of returning to life. Now this idea that, that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected back to life has really been probably uh, the biggest stumbling block to many who want to embrace the teachings of Christianity. And, and yet hear a story like this, look at something like this, and, and simply cannot believe it. Um, some years ago, Newsweek magazine conducted a, a survey asking a simple question. They're asked... Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after dying on the cross? And they had all these categories that broke it down, and and one of them was those who who would claim claim themselves to be a born-again Christian, by their own definition. And of those people, 88% of them said, Yes, I believe in the resurrection. Uh, Which seems pretty high at first, until you realize that uh, 12%, roughly 1 in every 10 people, who consider themselves to be Christians, going by that name, born-again Christian, uh, still deny that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Um, they insist on, on some level, as I've had these conversations, I've heard people tell me that, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful story. It's a beautiful story, and they love the story because uh, they believe, you know, God's encouraged people by this story, and it really doesn't matter whether it exists or not. And that breaks my heart, because I'll submit to you today that it does matter, that it is absolutely foundational to the Christian faith, to our faith. And so then this resurrection Sunday, I, I, I want to help us answer those two monumental questions I mentioned early earlier. Again, the first one, you know, does it really matter if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead or not? Is that important to our faith? And secondly, even more importantly, is it true? Is it, in fact, true that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead? Well, the first one, the Apostle Paul, uh, can help us answer pretty quickly. Uh, the first question, does it matter if we believe the resurrection? If you've got your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 12. <coughs> I have the, the benefit of marketing here, so I can get here quickly, right? Uh, and there, Paul writes here to the church in Corinth, to the Christians in Corinth, and he says this, Now, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who, and then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me summarize that for you. He is writing to these new Christians. These Christians who used to be uh, of a Jewish sect called the Sadducees, this is a a group that denied any resurrection, that death was it, uh, that it was impossible to be resurrected. And he's pointing out to them here that if there is no resurrection, possible even, if when men and women die and are buried in the ground, if that is where they stay forever, then, then even Jesus has not been resurrected and his body is still dead somewhere. And, and and this is, this is absolutely first-tier essential teaching of Christianity right here. This isn't one of those negotiable things. Um, and verse 17 makes it abundantly clear why, when it says there that, uh, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. I mean, do you do you hear what he's saying here? That that Paul is insisting that if there is no resurrection then we are still condemned in our sin because without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness. It would mean the payment wasn't received by the Father. It would mean that, that death wasn't defeated, right? Um, and so we can answer this question. Does the resurrection matter? Yes. Yes, it matters. It truly, truly matters. And then the second question, our, our second question, did the resurrection really happen? happen? And let me be clear from the start. There is nothing I can say today that will ultimately, absolutely convince you of the resurrection. It it can't be done in that way. You know, it is a gift that comes from God because there is simply no argument, no evidence that I can give that will, will convince you absolutely of this. However... Since this is a true event, and there you you know right off the bat in my view, I hope you knew it long before that, but since it is an actually true event, there are reasonable pieces of evidence that support this truth. It's a story that many of us know well, uh, but looking at the details today, my hope is that it will encourage your faith, that it will show you the reasonableness of this miracle, this work of redemption that has happened in Christ's death and resurrection. And so we're going to do this by looking at nine little things, and we're going to move them fairly quick. Uh, They're nine pieces of of biblical and circumstantial evidence that point to the truth of the resurrection. Uh, And so number one, uh, Jesus' resurrection was prophesied long in advance. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Hosea, Micah, all of these prophets prophesied Christ's death and resurrection hundreds of years before it actually happens. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied that, that Jesus would be born into humble circumstances, that he'd live a very simple life, that he would die uh, a brutal death, and finally that he would be risen from the dead to take away the sins of his people. You see, predicting something like that with that kind of accuracy, 700 years in advance is not coincidence. This is the, the sovereign plan of God from long, long, long before. Um, So we could spend a lot of time unpacking these, and I'm I'm telling you this so you know we're moving through these pretty quick. And if you want to research them all later, you certainly can. I can help you do that. Uh, Second thing, Jesus predicted his own resurrection. In Matthew 22, verses 38 and 40, Jesus is conversing with the, the Jewish scribes and the Pharisees, and they come to Jesus, and they ask him this question. They say, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you, right? Show us something that tells us something. Uh, who you are. And Jesus answers them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Okay, so that's what he's pointing to, Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is pointing them to an Old Testament story. This is the only sign you're going to get, he says. And, And just like Jonah was in the belly of that great fish for three days, Jesus is saying he's going to be in the grave, right? He's going to be in the earth for three days, and then he's going to come out of the earth back to life. All right. So that's a little obscure, right? Pointing to an Old Testament reference. Uh, there and Then in uh, Mark 9, verse 31, Jesus is very much more explicit when he tells his disciples, he says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Jesus is saying this. He's predicting his own resurrection. And then, of course, in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus, speaking of himself, tells the crowd, the people there listening to him, destroy this temple, he's talking about his body, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And that's precisely what he did. Number three, Jesus died on the cross. I know that's a weird way to to speak to the proof of the resurrection, but uh, the point is this, he didn't fall asleep, he didn't swoon, he actually died. You see, the night before Jesus' death, he underwent uh, this sleepless night of of trials and beatings. He was scourged, he was beaten. Most men die from from this alone. Um, Then Christ was crucified. You've seen this before in your life, probably not an actual crucifixion, but the idea is here, nails through his wrist, his feet. Um... And like many criminals before him and after Jesus, nailed to this cross, all of whom died. Uh, Jesus was declared dead by a professional executioner who probably has some expertise in this area. He was then double-checked with a spear gouged into his side, and and when that happened, and when it was thrust into his side, it allowed a mixture of blood and water to pour out, exactly like modern medicine confirms it should. He was then wrapped in in what uh, is expected to be about 100 pounds of linens and spices and And whatnot. And the idea there is just so his body won't stink so bad as it begins to decompose. Uh, And now, so even at this point, if Jesus had somehow managed to survive all those things that would have killed him, uh, he certainly would have been suffocated laying in that tomb. You know? He would have had to survive three days with no food, no water, no medical attention in a cold, cave like grave. And, And the point here is Jesus really died. Uh, and that's important because of some of these things we're going to see later when people begin to see Christ. Uh, he was buried, this is the fourth one, he was buried in a tomb that was easy to find. You, you might remember that a man named Joseph, a rich man, is the one who actually gave the grave for Jesus to be born in. The fact that he was uh, a well-known rich man tells you that this tomb would have been easy to find. Uh, the point being that that the, the, uh, the women, the disciples, didn't wander up to the wrong tomb and find an empty one. Uh, nothing like that. Uh, not only that, but there were at least four, four highly trained Roman guards protecting the tomb that night. Those men were experts in combat. You can imagine they wouldn't have been real afraid uh, if a few tax collectors and fishermen showed up to battle them that night, right? Um, they wouldn't have been easily frightened. And that tells us that the body was not stolen. Uh, number five, Jesus appeared physically alive for three days after, uh, three days after his death. Um... After Christ's resurrection from the dead, he was seen and he was touched by numerous people over a six-week period, right, before the ascension. And and we know that the disciples clung to his feet. We know that uh, Mary Magdalene clung to his feet. You remember the story of of Doubting Thomas, right? He's the one that uh, sometimes we relate to. He's the one disciple that says, you know, insists that I won't believe that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead until I can take my fingers and place them in his wounds of his body and feel it for myself. We don't know for sure if he actually did it, but we know that Jesus shows up and offers him the opportunity to do so. In fact, Jesus even has breakfast for his disciples when he is cooking them fish in John chapter 21. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:3 and 8 even lists off just the amount of people who, who saw Christ, who interacted with Christ after the resurrection. And it's a huge amount of people. He writes this, he says, "...for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received." That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared uh, to Cephas, that's a, a name for Peter. And then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And it adds this phrase, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Uh, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. And Paul's right that. Uh, more than five hundred people at one time, and most of whom are still alive, which means you could actually ask these people five hundred people that have to col- that have to get together and collaborate on a lie if that 's what 's going on here there 's just no way number six in all four gospels, the first witnesses were women, and I know you might be thinking, why is this important well Uh, It's incredibly offensive, but but culturally relevant that in in first century Jewish culture, the testimony of women was considered unbelievable. Uh, So much, in fact, that they weren't permitted to testify in in court as as a witness. Uh, And so if you're putting together a hoax, you, you don't create a story where the first witnesses are all women. All four Gospels, you know, speak of this. And, 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 and you wouldn't have it where all four of your witnesses were people that culturally would not have been allowed to even be a witness. You know, you'd make the first witness the, the male disciples showing up or somebody else if you're making a hoax. And the only explanation for why, why it would be done this way is, is this. That it actually happened this way. It's the only reason you'd put it that way. You know, that, that those women really were the first witnesses to the resurrection. And, and thus, once again, God is turning the system on its head as, as these first, uh, you know, all six of the first witnesses, you know, that are listed in Scripture in different Gospels are, uh, are women. Uh, you've got Mary, 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 Salome, Joanna, and another Mary. Yeah, there's four Marys. Uh, that's why it gets confusing every time you see the word Mary in Scripture. Um, number seven, Jesus' resurrection convinced his family to worship him as God. This is, this is a pretty big one. You know, you think for a moment. Think about your brother, your sister, you're growing up. Tell me, you know, what would it take to convince you to worship your brother or your sister as God? Impossible, right? Um, James had a, a half brother. Sorry, Jesus had a half brother. His name was James. And James was originally very opposed to this idea that Jesus was God. He just couldn't believe it. And this changed after the resurrection, after his interaction with the resurrected Christ. In fact, James goes on to be a pastor in the church. And if you turn to the back of your New Testament, you'll find a book that's written by him, the book of James. He was absolutely convinced, even though it wasn't initially the case, that that his half-brother was the Son of God, Christ. Um, Number eight, Jesus' resurrection was confirmed by his most bitter enemies. You remember Saul, uh, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. He's the one who holds the tunics, the coats, while while these other people are stoning Christians to death, killing them. Uh, Saul hates Christians to his core, and he seeks out permission to go and get them in the city of Damascus, and he's on his way there to punish these Christians, only to find that uh, on the way he encounters the resurrected Jesus Christ. And absolutely everything in his life changes. From that moment forward, Saul, um, Saul, who later changes his name to Paul, I think I told you that, he becomes one of the most zealous gospel-proclaiming people in all of life, eventually dying for this cause. And, and Paul doesn't go from a, a hater of Christians to a worshiper of Jesus apart from an actual encounter with the resurrected Christ. Because it cost him everything. He wasn't one of those guys that was down and out. He had prestige. He had a place in society. He was set as far as life is concerned. And yet he gave it all away. And the only thing to explain that is that he actually interacted with the resurrected Christ. So one more. Number nine. Uh, The transformation of the disciples speaks to the resurrection. I've always loved this one. This one has always amazed me. Um, You know, before the resurrection, the disciples were... um, afraid of just about everything. They were bold until Christ gets killed, right? Uh, but then they become complete weenies. You know, after the resurrection though, they become bold again. They become fearless. You know, even in the, in the face of death, it's believed that 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred, that they were put to death because of their faith in Christ. Peter, you know, the, the disciple behind our, our rooster logo in particular is interesting. Uh, he was a bold talker. He's the one that was always, you know, we got this Jesus, I'll never leave you, I'll never ever forsake you, or anything like that. Uh, and, and yet, we saw that right after he gets arrested, uh, just as Jesus predicted, he denies Jesus. Not only denies him as a Savior, but denies even knowing him. I've never seen that guy in my life. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Never seen him. Uh, and, and remember, the rooster crows, and, and then he's just broken. Um, but something changes in Peter. He, he becomes so incredibly bold, just like the other disciples. The other disciples, you know, after the, after the crucifixion, they go into hiding, kind of thinking, are, are they going to come after us too? What's going to happen to us? Because, you know, at the heart they thought, okay, we thought this guy was the Messiah, but he died. He got killed. He's just a man. There was that doubt that entered in at that moment and, uh, you know, killed on a Roman cross. But then after the resurrection, you know, after they've interacted and and engaged Christ the risen uh, in his resurrected form, you know, um, they become incredibly bold. Uh, Peter himself, extra biblical writings uh, tell us that Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be put to death in the same manner as his Savior. But they all become bold. So many... Uh, Of the early disciples, you know, you speak even beyond those 12. There were the 500 that saw Christ risen. So many of them were beaten. They were stoned to death. They were thrown to lions. They too were crucified. You know, every every conceivable method was used to stop them from speaking about the resurrection. That was the force coming on them. And and if they knew that this was a lie, there is absolutely no way they continue to. To, to, to believe this lie, to propagate this lie when they are faced with such terrible consequences for doing so. Um, not one of these witnesses, there's no recording of a single witness while being beheaded or fed to lions, boiled in oil, burned alive, ever changed their story. That's amazing. You know, uh, instead, what we know is that they, they sang songs, songs of praise, knowing that their Lord has been resurrected knowing that he really has defeated death knowing that he has risen and that he will also raise them back to life and, and that's what gave them such amazing boldness as they, they faced the world that still disbelieved. So then you know let's come back to those questions we asked did it, did it really happen? Did the miracle of the resurrection really happen? Uh, On some level, we we get hung up on that part of it, When we've got to stop and realize, you know, we're we're talking about a a man who healed the lame, a man who, who gave sight to the blind, who healed lepers, a man who fed the masses with just a few fish and a few loaves, a man who took water and turned it into the most amazing wine ever. A man who, when faced with a storm, spoke to it, and it absolutely calmed at his voice. It's a man who, who walked on water, uh, a man who even brought another man back to life. And, and, and I, I think that sometimes we forget that, that there's this miracle, you know, the miracle of Good Friday is the fact that, that Jesus actually stays on the cross and dies. And it's a miracle because if we know anything about Christ, we know he had the ability at any moment to end it. I'm done with this. I'm not going to die for them. He could have come off that cross at any moment, and yet he stays there and he dies. And then the miracle of Easter that we celebrate today, the miracle of the resurrection is that that Jesus rose from the dead. We kind of got to ask ourselves this question that should a life that is lived absolutely miraculously as we've seen here really surprise us when it comes to this end, this culmination in in, in the resurrection? Um, So to answer that question, yes, yes, it happened. Um, And again, these nine statements aren't going to absolutely convince you. And They're not going to convince you unless the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to you by, by giving you faith to believe this most important event in the history of the world. So as we celebrate Easter today, we are celebrating the truth that our Savior, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for the sins of his people and that he conquered death in, in his own resurrection. And you might, you might ask, you know, so, so what's the application of this life? You know, we, we come and we, we hear the word, we hear these things and we think, what does this matter to me? Well, the relevance here is that I hope it gives you a great confidence, you know, a great confidence and the sure and expect and hope of of God raising us to eternal life with him. Um, Our our family, we live right over by the the zoo, which is also right by the cemetery. And um, the last two days I've gone walking through the cemetery and it is just a bizarre experience. as you, you walk, you know, just, uh, it's like a park for me, but going by grave after grave, reading these names of the, the birth and their death, and they're all so, so different in that regard, and, uh, you know, one of these was still fresh. Kind of hits you when you go by that grave, and, and the dirt's still kind of piled up, and there's no grass there, and, you know, someone was just recently buried, and, uh, you know, just name after name here. There's this, this weight, though, that that comes with realizing how many people are actually in that cemetery, these people who lived their lives, these people who worried about how they're going to pay bills, they worried about relationship issues, they, they worried about all sorts of things uh, in their life, only to now be laying here, lifeless, six feet under the place, that I'm just getting a little exercise from. You know, it really brought to life that reflection quote at the beginning of your bulletin. I don't know if you took your time to read it today, but it, it said that, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. That's that dividing point in all of life. Let me assure you today with, with the words of the Apostle Paul that he uses to encourage the Corinthians, the, the church in, in Corinth. Uh, in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, he says this, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Not only is it absolutely true that Jesus has been resurrected but resurrected, but, but, but you and I d- despite the death that we will inevitably face, will be resurrected to eternal life with God if our faith is in the only one who can redeem us. The only one who can redeem us from our sin. The only one who has absolutely defeated death. Jesus, our Savior. You know, as you walk around that cemetery, I I always get that sense of these, these people are going to be resurrected. And those whose faith in Christ are going to be resurrected to this eternal life with God, you know. And so I, I'll ask you this today, you know, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you have come and you know that, you're here to worship Him because this is your faith. I, I hope that when you hear these things we've looked at today that it encourages you more and more. And on the other side, I don't know everyone's heart. I don't know what your faith is. But I know that you need a Savior I know that you need Jesus, and, and so if your faith is not in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin today, now I encourage you to be praying. I encourage you to be asking God to reveal Christ to you. And I encourage you, ask your Christian friends. Don't be afraid to ask these questions because your death is absolutely certain. There is no way that you can avoid that. These are questions you need to answer. Ask your Christian friends. Ask, ask me. I would gladly have coffee Buy you a meal, any of you, if you want to talk about the, the, the truths of these statements, um, to discuss it. But don't just shrug it off. Don't do that because, because death is a plague that no one can escape. And there is no cure but Jesus Christ. Let's pray.